Ladies and gentlemen, in today's wind down, we're talking about risk, where the technology risk is in your business, your home or your office, and how you can mitigate it and what the approaches are. We really answer the question, what is the risk of my legacy technology and how do I mitigate it? Welcome to The Wind Down, an afternoon podcast where two techie blokes sit down over a bowl of wine and chat about what's happening in the world of tech. Enjoy while Scott and Nick open up about their week in technology. Well, ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to The Wind Down. My name's Nick and with me I have... Scott. Hello, Scott. How are you? I'm lovely. How are you, Nick? I'm absolutely superb. So before we start, where are we? What are we drinking? We are in the Rag and Famish. It was, uh, it was close. We were hungry. <laughs> yes. And um, drinking, look, this, this is interesting. So I've, I've often said that if you can't really describe the wine on the back of the bottle, at least to some degree, it's probably more of a marketing bottle or a, yeah, a bit of a, um, you're trying to catch someone through the use of the label rather than the quality of the wine. This actually isn't that bad. Um, and this is a, um, it's a, it's a lovely little 2020 Shiraz um, from the uh, Zilzi wine, Z-I-L-Z-I-E. And they're in a place called Caradoc, which I actually had to look up on the map. Mm-hmm. It's a little, little place on the um, western sort of Victorian border close to South Australia. Yep. About halfway up. Um, but um, it's, it's actually a decent drop. Um, I don't know why they don't describe anything about it. They talk about taking you on a journey of discovery, and I guess after a couple of bottles you do, but um, yeah, um, it's not bad. I always find two and a half bottles of wine is my journey of discovery, but there you go. <laughs> is, is, is that where the journey ends? <laughs> Certainly isn't where it begins, but anyway. Well, so here we go. Today, we're going to talk about risk. Risk. I love risk. Really? Yes, I used to play that for years. No, no, not that kind oh, of risk. The, oh, right. the risk of having old stuff. Ah. So the question I want to answer is, is sweating your technology assets really creating a business risk? Right, so risk is in old things, good yep. for a museum. Good for a museum. But bad for a modernised organisation. Yeah, and I, I know we've talked about old things and new things before, yeah. but this is really, I want our focus to be on, yeah, as, as boards get more and more interested in the business risk. Oh, yes. Of various things, of disaster recovery, of things failing, of being able to fix them. What is the business risk of having, I don't know, a part of your manufacturing plant running on NT4? Okay, well, let, let, you know, I, let's have a look at that. I actually don't mind the concept of older systems because okay. some of this manufacturing gear, as an example, could be like a million dollars or two million dollars or five million dollars to put in. So the fact that you've got a, a set system, like a control panel that makes it work, that, that's part of it. Wouldn't I have a spare one, though? If, I, if I've got, a, if I've got yeah. a single point of failure, I spent a million bucks on a system, and let's say 10K of that is this, this thing, and I'm going to sweat it for 30 years, wouldn't I just buy two? And I'll give you an example. Um, I once had the pleasure of going to the Parks Radio Telescope. And, um, Did you play cricket? No, I didn't. Oh. But as, as part of this event, we got to go up inside the plinth that holds the dish oh, yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. And I was in there, and they've got this little computer room, and in there was a PDP-11. I remember those. Right. So here's oh, some oh, big here's warm some things. ancient technology. And the reason they have it was it allows them to manipulate the dish. It's really heavy, and if they get it wrong, it will fall down. So it's a really good platform for doing that. And I said, oh, my God, is that a PDP-11? And the guide leading us said, that's nothing. See that box down there? I went, yeah. He goes, that's a whole nother 
PDP-11, still in shrink wrap, yes. kept in really good conditions, with stuff getting rid of oxygen and moisture. So when that one fails, we replace it and we keep going for another 30 years. But, but, but that's it. You can have these old systems in your environment and in some cases it may not be cost effective or even realistic at a business level to replace them. Mm. But you've got to manage the risk. They will fail. Mm. And a 20-year-old computer, when it finally goes, boom, and stops working and people are surprised, that is the issue. Yeah, well, Not that it's finally failed. Things fail, they get hot, capacitors pop, batteries oh. leak, hard dust drives. gets in, hard drives. They, they're spinning disks, spinning at, I forget, right, like at least 5,400 RPM oh. for a slow oh. hard disk. And now they are. Um, and, and you've got one of those, it, it's going to fail. The bearings will go, it will get out of alignment, yeah. it will... It will die, what? and you've got to prepare for it. Well, what, what people don't realise, though, is they're probably thinking, oh, the computer fails, just just put a newer one in there, and that'll be okay. Ah, the no. problem is, the older software has got no concept of what all these newer computers are. Yep. It doesn't understand them. It doesn't understand what a modern hard drive or an SSD flash drive is. Yep. It has to have the old hardware to go with it. So you've got to find it. It's not that easy to find. It's funny. I love watching these retro computing guys on YouTube. You know, I like the 8-bit guy and retro recipes and just uh, quite some of my favorite channels. Um, and those guys are in the business of taking legacy devices and making them work. But there's nobody who seems to be in the business of taking, you know, 30-year-old business PCs and making them work. Because I guess okay. it's not as exciting as an Apple II. Well, if you look at, like, and the little Raspberry Pi, for those that have played with yep. those, they, they have the Pi emulators for all the old arc um, arcade games. Well, the other way around. They've got, well, the old the, arcade systems yes, will run on a they, Pi. They, they yep. run on the emulator, though. The emulator yep. that says, I now look like a really old arcade system. Or a ZX Spectrum yeah, or a Commodore or 64 or something. But, that, but that's just it. There is a software layer that runs on modern hardware to make the system look really old and therefore the software works. But I guess with these manufacturing systems, they plug into physical things as well. Oh, like yes. controllers and PLCs. Yeah. And, and that's not through a USB connection, right? It could be oh, through no. a, an old serial connection or even something weird like some SCSI or EIDE or all sorts of there's, there's a lot of older systems and technologies that were used and they're not easy to replace. So the, the question is really, if you're thinking that... Hey, if anything fails, that's all right. I'll just buy a new machine or a new whatever. It's not, it's not that simple an answer. And have you ever tried doing it? Have you actually tested your risk mitigation strategy? So, so thinking of that, one of the risks is, say that device, my hypothetical device, my hypothetical manufacturing plant, right, hypothetically running Windows NT4, if it fails, what's the impact to the business? Well, that, well that's just it. What, what would happen if that whole process stopped? Have you got a, a different process you can use? Or does it actually say, oh, we can no longer produce this product line? Or what, what is the impact? Or a quality drops or a yeah, you know, speed or of delivery drops. What, whatever, the, whatever the machine does. So that can have a crazy, a crazy impact really quickly, right? It, it can. And it depends on what sort of business you've got. I mean, we've, we've just given some examples out of manufacturing, but it's by no means specific to manufacturing. No. There's a lot of different industries out there that have got old systems. Old phone systems, for example. Yep. All of a sudden, oh, how do I change this? No, how do, oh, an old phone system. I found this the other day. They were working with an old phone system. It decided Wednesday was a public holiday. Oh, <laughs> and so, okay. so every time it, everybody... It might have been in 1950-something. Yeah, so, <laughs> so every time somebody phoned up on that Wednesday, it went, sorry, it's a public holiday. Call back tomorrow. I did come across a few years ago, not that many years ago, mind you, uh, a very old phone system. 
Um, we actually uh, had an opportunity to talk to a client um, who ran serviced offices, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't recognise the, the phones that were in there. I said, oh, I haven't seen those before. They look a fairly older sort of phone. What are they? And they're from Telecom. Hand built the system out of oh somewhere goodness. in Brisbane <laughs> in the late 1970s. What, like Tommy Flowers build, <laughs> building Bletchley Park system. <laughs> no, they, they literally hand built this, and he took us into a room. You know, it was probably three or four meters by three or four meters, mm-hmm. and on the wall was a, a circuit board. I don't know, maybe like 15 centimeters by 15 centimeters. Every circuit board, really old components, sort of poked in there and whatever, was one extension. And it had cabling all running through this thing. And there was probably about 80 to 90 extensions with cabling all running back into other boards and boards running into boards. And Wow. Yeah. The reception console had old keys on it and you couldn't hit certain buttons because they didn't work anymore and they couldn't oh, find any replacements. So, so awesome. All of a sudden, those extensions were just registered as non-usable. And, but it's that sort of risk. What risks do you think are sitting there in businesses today? So there's two ways we measure risk, yeah. right? The likelihood of it happening okay. and the impact of that risk. So I would say, let's take our first example of that you know, NT4 box in the middle of a plant. The likelihood of it failing is 100%. At some point. At some point, right? Yeah, yeah. Run, but okay. it, it's going to fail. The impact of it failing is potentially pretty high. Yes. Right? You, let's say, for example, it was critical. And if it failed, the plant is shut down. So you couldn't make anything anymore. Okay. So the likelihood's 100%, the impact's 100%. Which means that's the first risk you should fix. Absolutely. Okay. And, or, now, one of the alternatives to risk or mitigate. is... Well, mitigate. You're insuring against the risk. Okay. However, yep. let's say that in a, in a business something broke. Yep. It had a material impact to that, prism, uh, that business. And in, okay, in three months' time, okay, here's some insurance money. Yeah, meanwhile, where's your business, though? Yeah, it's gone. You'll certainly get some cash for it. But to go and fix it or to go and find some more parts, but it doesn't, you know, your reputational damage is still there. Other mm. parts are still there. So let's talk it's about the issue. phone system. So you've got a business with this old hand-built phone system. Yes. That's going to fail. The well, fact it's lasted so long is pretty impressive, it, but it's going to fail. It was actually funny because uh, one of the clients in this serviced uh, office was uh, one of the earlier sort of ISPs that had the dial-up modems. Oh, yeah. And they had a lot of the extensions... Used for their dial-up modems. Well, they were trying to. It wasn't working very well. and they, Because this thing was so old, it didn't really handle the modems very well. Oh, no, and they had that. to then go and run direct phone lines in. And, of course, that was all the capacity from the street. And oh, it was just, it was a mess. It was, it was crazy. It was so, a mess. When, so, when your phone system is the old, as old as your carpet, you're probably... Yeah, you're probably in trouble. Yeah. So, so, look, we've talked about the risk. Let's talk about the mitigation strategies. There's okay. got to be some mitigation strategies. Scott? Yep. There is, and look, it, it could very well be, and this, look, this is a really easy thing. It says work with the supplier, the manufacturer, the whoever, and what do they do? And it could very well be they've got some parts in stock. That they're expensive, I get that, but it, that's the cost of the risk. If the manufacturer doesn't have parts anymore and you're running something really old that cannot be easily replaced, that's when it's time to look at do I need a new system. So that's why you buy a maintenance agreement, right? You buy a maintenance agreement from your provider who will make sure... They can always support that. And there are third-party maintenance providers out there, as in not the original manufacturer, but other companies doing maintenance that can help with this. Yes. But even there, they know that if something breaks, they better have the parts available. And they're probably just as likely to say, no, we can't take on that risk because we don't have those parts, we can't find those parts. And let's say a lot of these parts can be found on eBay, for example. Yes, but if I've got a specialist piece of equipment 
that's running my entire business and it breaks, trusting that the bit will be there on eBay seems to me like I'd add that to my risk matrix just as oh. much as the other one. Look, it, it will be. And eBay's a good place to find old parts when the system is still running. Yep. Knowing that, okay, these things aren't made anymore. Someone else has had these systems. Oh, look, they've tossed them away. Yep. I haven't tossed them away. Someone said, oh, look, I'll put it on eBay and see if someone will give me two bucks for it or something. Yep. That's where you can find the old parts. But you've got to plan for that. I mean, we took over a, a national network to manage at one point, um, a, a large MPLS network yep. that had some really old components to it. And these things weren't made anymore. They're end of life, end of support. And we're looking, well, if this fails, I don't know what we're going to do. We'll have, no. to, we'll have to very quickly work out how to produce this function in some other brand of gear that hopefully it works the same. But one of the guys found, hey, here's someone in, I think it was the UK at the time, had torn these out, tossed them on eBay. They were about $30 each or something, plus 100 bucks shipping. But, but anyway. Yeah, but we've done a lot of talking about hardware. Let's talk about software risk. Okay. Because right? software is a bit of a different game Indeed. in that you're not sitting in this kind of static world especially if you're connected to the network. So the minute you start getting connected to the network, you have to keep up to date with all the risks out there. You do. And it's not immediately obvious that these older bits of software are a risk. So, I mean, you, you build software, and if, let me explain this in a very simple way, and you're going to tell me I'm either completely right or completely wrong. No, keep going. Uh, but a lot of software, when developed these days, uses pre-built software from open source, meaning people have written this a long time ago and said, here, global community... Not, not just a long time ago. You know, there's oh, modern okay. open source, well, there, too. So that, that's very fair. There is modern open source. But, like, here is a bit of code that provides all the network connectivity for you. You can use that. Yep. And a lot of vendors will actually say, oh, we're not going to rewrite a networking module. We're going to use that bit of code that's available globally. It's on the internet. It's free to use. Why don't we just use that instead of yep. writing it ourselves? All of a sudden, you get, let's say there's a thousand vendors around the world that have done that. That code develops a security bug. No, it doesn't develop one. Sorry, that code no, does not nope. develop that, security That bugs. is very true. A security issue that was already there yes. gets discovered. Is discovered <laughs> and notified publicly. Yes, now you're in trouble. As different to a zero day, which is known by a number of people, but not actually made public, so people don't know they have to fix it. Yes, yes. Okay, so you've got security issues in this old code. It's up to someone to not just write a fix for the original module, but then for you as the manufacturer to, to say... To adopt that new version, yes. make sure it works with all your code, ah. and adopt a new version of and your code. And then if you've got devices out there that you can't manage, you can't update them. Well, that's it. What if there's the what if the problem is in an old bit of code that you no longer support? Yep, that risk exists. There yes. are known issues. Absolutely, there are known security issues. So, so there's there's that one where I'm using third-party modules. But yeah, as things move forward, and you you mentioned open source. It's not just open source. Um, there's lots of things written in historical versions of .NET, for example, yes. or old versions of Java, or or all these frameworks that we built things on that have security vulnerabilities because the underlying platform does. Okay. So let's, and let's look at that. And this is where the, the initial rush of manufacturers to get their devices on the internet, and this is the whole Internet of Things mm -hmm. concept, when you had fridges and microwave ovens and all sorts of things appearing on your network to get Wi-Fi connectivity or physical cable connectivity. Or LoRan or whatever it is. Yeah. Yep. Well, a lot of these manufacturers, they are not security specialists by any means. Mm -hmm. And they would have hired uh, developers to write code for, let's say, a fridge. Yep. That code would run on, oh, they can go and buy a little 
board that runs some software. It comes with a little operating system on it. Great. They just write a little bit of code that sits on that, and therefore there's their module. And that's our online fridge. All of a sudden, the fridge is online in your house, in your business, or whatever. Yep. And that on module your on your network, talking and that to the internet, and it gets issues. compromised, and suddenly they're in. And so this is what happened. Um, remember when Equinix got hacked? Oh, yeah. Equinix got yes. hacked through an old piece of software they didn't really think mattered yeah, anymore. The fire controls? Yeah, something like the, that. Yeah. I forget what it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is it. And these are, this isn't us making stuff up. This, this stuff is well documented, mm. well explained. We know there are security issues out there. The early IoT threats where all of a sudden um, a, a fridge gets infected. Someone downloads something off the internet. They get it in their laptop, they take it home, it runs, it goes and finds, oh, you've got one of those fridges, I'm going to get into that. But the code that runs that fridge is not specific to that fridge. No. That code is put into the security cameras of the world, it's put into all the little control boxes and the microwaves. Baby monitors and and all sorts of things, yeah. And all of a sudden it goes and infects all of those. Now they're all calling home to say, what can I do? Yes. Now you've got millions of locations around the world with infected little devices. Like, where's this attack coming from? It's Everywhere. free from my fridge. Yes. Well, what do you do about that? Turn the yeah. fridge off. You do a firmware upgrade on your fridge. Really? <laughs> well, you can. You can. You can. That is, that is true. It's a bit sad, but it is true. It is funny. Every uh, electronics device I seem to buy for the last you know, 10 years, I get it home and it wants a firmware update. Day one. It's not a bad thing, though. That's a good thing. Usually it means like that, that security updates are being rolled out. But at, at the same point, knowing that everything you connect... And look, we saw a, 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 a Wi-Fi microwave once. You, you can actually come connect it into uh, Amazon Alexa. Oh, that's cool. You can actually, hey, yeah, look, uh, Alexa, go make my popcorn. Now, typically, you've actually got to have the bag of popcorn in the oven beforehand. But it does go and turn the microwave on. And You, you do know, every time you go to a new person's house, you say, Alexa, order 500 kilos of gummy bears, add to shopping list, commit... And that will tell you whether they've got open Alexa or not. <laughs> That's very interesting. Hmm. <laughs> if 500 kilos of gummy bears turn up at your house... <laughs> um, I don't have Alexa. <laughs> but I'd, I'd, I'd well, probably, it, it I'd may probably be in pop your fridge. shortly if I was you. It, it may be in your fridge, you don't know. Um, I but, don't have a smart fridge either. But, but this is the issue. These are the risks. And you may not have... Let's say that fridge has issues, security issues. You may not have updated code for a fridge. What do you do? You put it on a separate part of the network to minimise the amount of damage it could possibly cause. People are doing that, right? So the other thing is, you say fridge, right, which is a a kind of half-edge case because not that many people have their fridges connected. I bet all of you have a printer at home on the network running firmware. You know what? Printers, alarm systems. Yep. Mm -hmm. Routers, Routers. Uh, security cameras, points, security the cameras. number of security cameras that have been broken into and used as intrusion points into networks. Yep. And it's just old software that's been quickly rushed out to market so that the manufacturer says, hey, we've got a network-connected security camera, buy ours. Right, so this, we're back into risks. Okay. Good, we've got into software. Let's mitigate again. So you said something, you said, we can insure against risk. That's one thing? You you can. But depending on the risk, insurance may not be the right approach. Okay. You can make sure everything's kept up to date. You can. And every time you buy something, add it to your patch management regime. That's right. What's your patch management regime like at home, Scott? Well, it's actually not that bad, (laughs) but I think probably um, a bit of an obscure use case there. Um, But in general, I would think most people's patch management is actually atrocious, aside from the fact that it turned automatic updates on on Windows. Yes. 
the more modern Windows. Yeah, no, the Windows 10 and 11 of this world, I hear, is coming, allegedly. Maybe. And, uh, Windows 10 into support, 2025? Yep, so after 2025, yep. if you've got Windows 10, they don't support it anymore. Uh, I, I do think it's going to be extended three or four times. Oh, as it normally yeah, is. Yeah. But, <laughs> but still, but that is the fact that Windows will be 10 years old then. So keep everything up to date. Windows 10. Make sure you patch it. If you can't, isolate it. Isolate it, and this is where this starts to get a bit more into the IT side, where you start to put your devices in different parts or different networks yep. that are separated from each other. So if you know that I've got these really cheap devices I found that are likely to have some issues and no one's going to fix them for whatever reason, great, I'm going to put them in a separate network and maybe even plug them into a separate port on the firewall not let them talk to my main network. Yep. Cool. Um, so you can do that or you can replace them with something newer. You, you can, but even the newer stuff out there today, I mean, I've, I've been playing around recently with um, some of these managed PowerPoints. Yep. Just to see what sort of level of control can we have, how would we fit those into managed networks. Yep. They are atrocious for security. Yes. I've seen some of them working out where does this server sit. One of them sits in China, the control server, which you connect into and tell it, turn my light on, turn my light off. You don't see this. That's awesome. And so basically what happens is your device, your little PowerPoint device in your network, creates a secured connection across to this control server in China. So now you're basically saying, hello, I've got a server in another country. Run by somebody you don't know. No, who can actually see into my network. Yep. Now, I get it. It's for the purpose of managing the PowerPoint, providing the on-off function and the yep. how much power am I using. But what have you just opened up? Well, I found these fascinating because I was coding to these, and I thought well, these little managed switches would have an API I can talk to on my network. Oh, no. You have to talk to the API of the vendor in China or wherever. Talk to their server that will talk to your device. Thank you very much. Mm. And that's a, I see that as a fair old exciting risk. Now, well, it's not all of them. Because I know there are some which actually pop open a little API and you can talk to them directly. And that's how my office at home lights up with my presence. So if I'm in a meeting, it goes red. If I'm free, it goes green. If I'm focusing, it goes orange and flashes. So what, but this is it. These devices that do allow you to program them or talk to them directly, when you go and run a bit of code or write a bit of code, this is, I'm going to go and talk to that, let's say PowerPoint in this case. Yep. I had a look at this and said, well, okay, well, hang on. How do these things talk? Oh, you've got to connect to it. You've got to provide some security credentials. Yes. A user ID and a password. Admin, what? admin. Admin, admin. Yeah. Can you change it? Yes. No, not in some of the cases the of these. The ones I was working on, you uh, can. Otherwise, I wouldn't have played with them. But yes. I tried eight or nine different brands. Two of them had hard-coded credentials built into them, administrative credentials that you could not change. So was, if I can get into your network, I can turn your, I don't know, TV off at will. That's the, the very start of what you could do. If I turned all your phones off when the gummy bears turned up, you could be in real trouble, <laughs> couldn't you? Well, no, because I know who did it. <laughs> this is why we recorded that. Okay. Yeah. But, but this is it. If, if you're publishing these devices with hard-coded administrative credentials in yep. them, anyone could write a bit of code that say, oh, malware, go and infect all these machines. Yep. Go poke this network and see if anything on this user ID and this password responds. I know what that is. That's a managed PowerPoint. Okay, I'm going to go it. and put my code on there. Yep. And when you're doing virus scans, who's going to go and virus scan a PowerPoint? No, no You'll one. You'll sit there for ages undetected. No one will know what's going on. And all of a sudden, your network's slow. All your bandwidth is being used by these accidental attacks. All your machines are mining Bitcoin, and now you're in all sorts of trouble. Exactly. Cool. 
That was awesome, Scott. I think, I think we, we talked about all sorts of fun things today. That was so lots of fun. Now that everyone feels really secure about what they've got at home and they're going to go and turn all their power off. And yeah, I'm, going, I'm <laughs> going back to the office to do some firmware updates, but there you go. <laughs> yes. Cool. Well, that was the wind down. I hope you enjoyed that. If you do like what you hear, leave us a like or a subscribe down there somewhere. Um, and leave a comment if you'd like us to discuss anything, anything at all or you just want to talk to us. I hope you enjoyed it today and have a fantastic yeah. day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.